Good morning. My name is JD. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar. Just welcome you this morning to those uh, who are members and guests, maybe visitors for the first time. Uh, we are continuing our series this morning in the book of John. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, the last section of that book we will find. If you do not have a Bible of your own, as Brian pointed out uh, uh, in this introduction, that uh, there is one hopefully underneath the seat around you. Feel free to grab that one. And John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament, the fourth book in the New Testament. You can turn there and we'll be in John chapter 18, starting in verse 28 through 40. Just a reminder that John ha- is written so that, um, is written this so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, so that you may have life. Jesus is the Son of God, and in so believing, you may have life. Let's read this together. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to him, It is not lawful for us to put, to put, to put anyone to death. And this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say this to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. And for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, Well, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to Jews and told them, Look, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. For Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. Help illuminate it to our minds and help us to worship it in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak through me and your word and your scriptures to, uh, to guide us and help us and instruct us, Lord, that we may be conformed more to your image and transformed by the knowledge of who Christ is, Lord, as we think, as we figure out, think about what is the truth. Let's pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, after the service, I was standing up front here in the middle, and I was talking to two other men when Eli Scott, uh, he walks up to me, stands in the middle of us, and he just kind of stood there. And so I, I was, I leaned over and I said, hey, Eli, um, is there anything I can, I can help you with? And he, he looked at me and said, you know, he said, uh, how, how, how did God come to be? 
Like, when did, when did, who created God, right? And uh, that's a big question. Like, I was thinking, that's a really big question after church for a seven-year-old to answer. And so how do I answer that in a way that he can understand? And so I responded by saying this, this, the sovereign God has eternally and always existed. This means that there was and will never be a beginning or an end to God. In all God's time of existence, he has lived in perfect unity with himself through this amazing Trinitarian truth that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have existed as one God, yet three distinct persons. Because of this amazing unity, God does not need anyone or anything else uh, anyone or anything else to find fulfillment or happiness. Yet God created man in his image in this world to glorify and honor him by living in his presence in the garden and doing so with full obedience and submission. Yet man rebelled against God by desiring to be like him. And this led to the fall whereby man not only had a beginning, but also because of sin, now had a town designated to, God, to die. But Christ, right? And I looked down at Eli and I said, are you tracking with me, Eli? And he ran away crying. Just kidding. That is, that is not quite how I responded. That is how I might would respond to you. But to a seven-year-old, uh, I did the best I could to explain that God has always and eternally existed. In the best way that I knew how. And then Eli, being this bright, uh, whimsical seven-year-old, comes back with another question. All right, if this is true of God, then when did Jesus live? And when did Jesus die? And I was like, man. So in my best way that I knew how, I explained it in a seven-year-old fashion that this is Jesus has always lived with God as three persons. Obviously, that's hard for us to understand as adults, let alone as a seven-year-old. But I explained it as best I could. And as Eli walked away, one of the one of the fathers that was standing there was just like, wow, wow, what a, what a question to ask. And what was interesting about the question that Eli asked is the fact that he was seeking truth. He wanted to know truth. Specifically, he wanted to know truth about God. This is a question that all peoples from all time have been asking, especially in the day and age that we live in. What is truth. Even from the time that we have from the beginning of time to, to where we see here in our text where, where Pilate is asking the same question, what is truth to today with a seven-year-old who, who is seeking to know, man, I just want to know what truth is, that we have the answers. And by God's grace, we do. We do have these answers. So I want to start with this quote this morning as it pertains to truth. To truth. Uh, it is a quote from Dutch theologian Herman Bevink. He says this, God is the truth in its absolute fullness. He, therefore, is the primary, the original truth, the source of all truth. The truth in all truth. He is the ground of the truth of the true being of all things, of their knowability and conceivability. The ideal and archetype of all truth, of all ethical being, of all the rules and laws in light of which nature and manifestation of all things should be judged and on which they should be modeled. 
God is the source and origin of the knowledge of truth in all areas. So where does our truth come from as Christians? It finds itself in a holy triune God who is the source of all truth. So I'm going to give you some uh, two ideas this morning. Uh, or two thoughts this morning, but I want, to, I want you to leave with this idea, to walk away with this idea that Jesus is the source of all truth. Jesus is the source of all truth, therefore, we must listen to his voice or we deceive ourselves. Jesus is the source of all truth, therefore, we must listen to his voice or we deceive ourselves. And so I want to examine this question of what is truth as we get to the end of Jesus' life, right before his crucifixions. Crucifixion. So two truths that I want to point out by asking questions or, or by, by stating them negatively. And we're going to look at three things that I believe from this text that Jesus fulfills. First thing that we're going to see, this first truth that we'll see is this. We deceive ourselves... By believing outward religious works will save us. We deceive ourselves by thinking or by believing that outward religious works will save us. In the preceding verses leading up to our text today, we see that Jesus was arrested. and He ran through a couple of mock trials with, Caiaph- with Annas and Caiaphas. But notice what happens as they go to the governor's headquarters. Then they led Jesus, verse 28, from the house of Caiaphas, which was where the last mock trial was, to the governor's headquarters. And it was early in the morning, so that tells you that they had a trial in the middle of the night to get it done. And they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside and said to them, What accusation do you bring against this man? It's like, if this man were doing evil, we would not have delivered them to you. We're not doing evil. We wouldn't have delivered him to you. But take him and judge him by your own law, to which they said no. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Do you see the hypocrisy that's happening with these Jewish leaders? Do you see the hypocrisy with which they are living with hey we don't want to enter the governor's headquarters because we'll be defiled and therefore won't be able to take passover and be able to worship god but yet we'll turn over this guy so that you can kill him even though he's innocent do you see man's heart in this The religious outward working that look how spiritual I am. I don't want to be defiled by going into I want to hold on to this law so justly. But yet their hearts were far from God. Their hearts were far from God. Jesus spent a good amount of time warning his disciples and ultimately us to watch out for those who believe their own religious piety will save them. In Luke 21, he says this, Beware of the scribes 
who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplace and the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense they make long prayers. But then he goes on to say, they are the ones who will receive the greater condemnation. We must be careful with our religious piety. We must be careful that thinking that our religion, our outward workings will save us. It is only by believing and trusting in the good, faithful work of Jesus Christ that we are saved. That we can enter into His presence, not by ceremonial law, not by moral law, not by upholding either one of those two things. But it is through Christ. Through His work that we trust in, that we believe in. And so we must be careful. We must be careful not to deceive ourselves by believing outward religious works will save us. You being in church this morning saves you no more than you standing in your garage and believing you're a car. Just coming to church, just showing up this morning does not save you. But by believing in the finished work of Christ, by Him obediently going to the cross, dying a death that you deserve, taking on the weight and the punishment of your sin, is what saves you. See, if you're here this morning, you've been trusting in this religious outworking. That me and God, we are, we are good. If you've been walking around with the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt, just want to warn you, as the Bible warns you, that that does not save you. Matthew 7 says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? That sounds really good, right? Didn't I drive out demons in your name? Didn't I do mighty works in your name? And what will Jesus say to them? Depart from me, for I never knew you. Because we can do all the outworkings of what looks really spiritual. And our hearts be far from God. That our, out, our outward flesh seems like we are, we are just making it happen. That we are living spiritually productive lives. And yet our hearts... Are wicked. And the warning here for us is that we would, we would make sure that we align ourselves, that the works that we do are because of what Christ has wrought and done in us, and that the outflow of what we do is because of a heart for worshiping the Lord and a heart for serving the Lord. I mean, it's, we get no better picture from this than from even this from, from Luke chapter 10, right? That as Martha and Mary are, are, are kind of biding in their house, right? This, this, uh, Jesus comes by and Martha in, invites him in. And, and, um, and Mary, who sat at the, and, and she had a sister, who, uh, Mary, who was in the house as well. As Jesus comes into the house, Mary sits at the Lord's feet. And she just worships. And she listens. And in the background, there's Martha. And Martha, she's a busy, busybody man. She's working. She's serving. She's making things happen. She is making things happen. And she comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, 
Like, this is not right. I'm doing all the work while she's just sitting here, doing nothing. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you can get this picture right, Martha, would you hear me here? Martha, you, you are anxious. You're anxious and you're troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary, that Mary has chosen the good portion. Don't let your pious activity become the good portion. Your good portion is found in Christ Jesus and his work on the cross. So don't deceive yourselves into believing that your outward works will save you. The second thing that we see from this text in the negative, we deceive ourselves by, be, by believing there is any truth outside of Jesus. We deceive ourselves by believing there is any truth outside of Jesus. The book of John hammers this home over and over again. John uses the word truth to describe the triune God. Listen to this. In the book of John, the word truth is found 23 times in the book of John. Guess how many times it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Three. One in each gospel. So obviously there is something for John, that John wants us to know about the truth, about Christ, about what it is that truth is. That we, the reader, would know what truth is and where we can find truth. And truth is found in Christ. Over and over again, John has hammered his home. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. You sent John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth, who is found in Christ Jesus. Jesus said to the Jews who have believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Over and over again, even Jesus says, because I tell you the truth and you do not believe me, but I tell you the truth. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Because I am the way, the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. He even calls the Spirit truth. Three different times. He calls the Word truth. Yes, truth is found in Christ Jesus. So when Pilate entered his headquarters again, verse 33, he called Jesus and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? To which Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord? And others say this about me? And Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew. Your own nation and chief priests have brought you here. 
What, what is it that you have done to deserve this? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. The fact that Peter cut off the ear of, of, um, of the centurion would have just began an all-out war. No, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you are a king. He says, you say that I am a king, but listen. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. To bear witness about myself. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. My question to you this morning is, do you know this truth? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Has you, have you submitted your life to Him? Because Pilate hears what he says. He hears what Jesus says and he says, well, what is truth? But he doesn't wait for the answer. He keeps moving. And this morning, I want you to not walk away from here not knowing what truth is. That Christ, that Jesus is the truth. That He came into this world. A purpose that I was born, that He would come as the incarnate Son of God. Fully God and fully man. That He would come into this world and live a life we could never live. One that was perfect and holy and right and just. And then die a death that we deserve. Not only a death that we deserve, the most excruciating, humiliating death that you could ever die. And that's what Jesus did. I have come into this world to bear witness to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that in so doing, that everyone who believes in this will listen to my voice. Have you believed? Have you believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Him. This is the truth. The question that everyone is asking in this world is found right here in His Word. His Word is truth. He is truth. That we would believe in Him that we may have life. So three things that I believe, three ways that I believe believing Jesus leads to life is this. There are three main offices that are spoken of in the Old Testament. Those three offices are prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. And Jesus fulfills in his earthly ministry all three of those perfectly. He operated in the divinely ordained threefold office in this way that he would be called, as Revelation 1 says, he would be called faithful witness, as prophet. He would be the firstborn of the dead as priest. And he would be ruler of the kings of the earth as king. So we're going to look at these three from this text. Let me first explain Jesus as 
prophet. Jesus as prophet. Prophets were tasked with speaking God's word to people in the Old Testament. This included both proclaiming God's truth to others and revealing God's plans for the future about future things. Some of the prophets were even performed miracles and healings according to our God allowed. And the people of Jesus' own day referred to him as prophet. Even, even he himself referred to himself as prophet. A prophet is not welcome even in his hometown. That's Jesus' own words. Or the woman at the well who says, obviously, you are a prophet. So he took himself upon this title and others as well. Both Peter and Stephen spoke of Jesus as being the ultimate fulfillment of Moses' own saying that there would be one who would come that would be a better prophet than I in fulfilling and one that you must listen to. Jesus often spoke in parables through the word of God. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law, much like a prophet. Many times they would say, thus saith the Lord, as they spoke for God on his behalf. Jesus also foretold the future. He told his disciples of his pending death and resurrection. He told of Judas' betrayal and Peter's denial. He predicted the coming of the Holy Spirit, the persecution of his followers, and the destruction of the temple. But also Jesus prophesied for a future hope. One of his coming return. So Jesus does not simply speak the word of God as a mere human prophet. But is himself the word made flesh. He is the final word. The ultimate revelation of God. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through him also he made the universe. We hear this in Hebrews 1. And so in verse 32, Jesus says, This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So could the Jews have killed Jesus? The answer is yes, they could have. In much the same way they, they killed Stephen by, Stephen by stoning him. But it wasn't lawful for them to do so. They did it out of anger and contriteness and frustration over what they perceived as Stephen's blasphemy. But yet, Jesus, in the book of John, in, in 3, uh, 3.14, said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus was talking about his own death, his, his own future uh, crucifixion. And in chapter 12, he says, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all peoples to myself. So Jesus is the true and better prophet. What about Jesus as priest? Old Testament priests served as mediators between humans and God. It was the priest who offered sacrifices on behalf of the people. And Jesus is our mediator. He is our high priest. 
First Timothy says there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So the priests would go into, in the Levitical law, they would go into because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins, um, that the priests would go into and offer on the Day of Atonement sacrifices for the people on behalf of God and for their own mercy. Christ, uh, the, he, he was the mediator for the people, but Christ is our mediator. He is our high priest. He not only offered the once and for all sacrifice, but he is the true atoning sacrifice. Christ entered into the holy place. But unlike the high priest who offered a sacrifice of an animal, Christ offered himself. He had to only enter one time. He only had to sprinkle his own blood once on the mercy seat. And Hebrews 9 reminds us of this. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, when through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with holy hands, not of this creation, either once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more the blood of Christ. This is important for us to understand. that Jesus is the greater, more perfect high priest. Look at what happens in verse 38, the second half of verse 38. He goes back out to the Jews he says, listen, I find, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man. No, not this man. But Barabbas. But Barabbas. You see here what Jesus did. Jesus willingly became the curse for the innocent. Jesus will, willingly went on a tree and suffered a death and endured a death that we so deserve. And Jesus serves as the true priest who gave his life, life as the innocent for the guilty. His innocent life for the guilty life even of Barabbas and for us. So if you're here this morning, you believe you're not guilty, I want to tell you that you are, your iniquity lies and comes before you as soon as you are entering the womb. But because of the fall of man, we are born into this guilt. And that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Because he would go up on that tree. That he would be raised up. The innocent and blessed son of God was hung on a tree. He was a reprehensible criminal. He suffered the unspeakable experience of the wrath of God. That we will never, if we are in him, found in him, will never suffer. And he did it in our place. 
that we might experience the new covenant, the new heaven, the new earth that can only be found in the hope that is him. Corinthians puts it this way, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the great high priest. He is the one that took our place innocently and willingly and for this purpose. And then we get Jesus as king. We see the the office of king is best illustrated by David. Even David is called a man after God's own heart. He promised David that your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And this promise was fulfilled in the Messiah as he was called the son of David and David's son found in Jesus Christ. The angel Gabriel told Mary that Jesus will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and the kingdom will never end. That is Christ's kingdom. That the son of David, that is Jesus, would be a ruler of God's people. But he would also be the deliverer. Yeah, they were expecting a king. They were expecting a king that would come in and overthrow a government. And exude a power. That would reign over all of creation. That day will come. There will be a day when we will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. And this king will have authority over all things in heaven and on earth. This is what it looks like to be a heavenly king. A godly king. One that is not of this world. But his kingdom is in heaven. For one day, for those who put their faith and trust in him and believe in Christ Jesus. We will be able to live in his presence, worshiping, rejoicing in who Christ is. Jesus is reigning king, and he should be reigning fully in our hearts as our king. That we would submit to his kingship. That we would rest in him as as the one true prophet. The one who gave us his word as the one high priest that went as true mediator between God and man. And the one king that every knee will bow and every tongue confess whether you believe in him or not. I pray that you would trust in him. That you would trust his word. That you would not be like Pilate who walks away not really knowing the truth even though it's standing right in front of him. But you would be more like Nicodemus, who comes with a humble, contrite spirit, seeking to know truth. And then in the end, he's saved by his knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done. So in this threefold office of Christ, as prophet, priest, and king, we are granted our freedom from sin. We are taken from death to life. By him. And so we must trust that Jesus is the source of all truth. 
We must listen to his voice or we deceive ourselves. You listen to his voice this morning. The spirit is, is calling, uh, calling us to himself. He is calling us out of our sinful desires and out of our sinful ways, either to repent and believe the gospel or to repent of our sins and trust and walk in newness of life over and over and over again. That we would be sanctified, that we would live in this newness of life. Jesus is truth. We get to celebrate that here just in a few minutes by celebrating the Lord's Supper together. I pray that we would take this Passover meal, this representation of the Passover, with hearts that are fully repentant, contrite before him. Let's pray together. Jesus, this is your word. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed your truth to me. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not received this truth and believed in who Christ is and who you are, or that even now you would unblind their eyes and undeafen their ears. Lord, if there's anyone here that is living in unrepentant sin, Lord, would you call them out of the darkness? Would you call them to confess and repent and walk in, in, in accordance to your will and to your scriptures? To cast off restraint, cast off sin, and Lord, put on righteousness and holiness and walk in the goodness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For he is the source of all truth. In Jesus' name we humbly pray.